most products do not sell themselves. Salespeople bridge the gap between a product creation and a customer who purchases it. People can make a good living on the internet selling niche products, if they can find their customers. The process of taking a large group of potential customers and narrowing it down to only a subset of those customers who will buy your product is known as the sales funnel. The sales funnel consists of multiple stages, the first of which is known as prospecting. A salesperson doing prospecting is casting a wide net, sending emails to hundreds or thousands of people looking for anyone who has some small probability of being interested. Without a tool for prospecting, the process can be very labor-intensive. Jean-Baptiste Escoyez is the CTO of Prospect.io, a tool for sales prospecting. In this episode, we explore the process of building Prospect.io, from the high-level product design to the engineering details of how it is implemented. I use Prospect.io to sell two different products, so this was enjoyable to find out how one of my favorite tools works, as well as to discuss the process of modern sales. JB Escoyes is the CTO of Prospect.io. JB, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me on. So today we're talking about building sales software, and sales is very important to me because I think that we're in a time where people are making a living selling very weird things on the internet, and they're able to make a living selling weird things because they can find the buyers on the internet. And you know, if we were talking about 10 or 20 years ago, it wouldn't be so easy to make a living selling something really strange on the internet. And so discussing how that type of commerce is facilitated, I think, is, is something I'd like to do with you. But first, I want to ask you, why is sales important to you? Why is it important enough to be focused on building software that helps people do sales? Actually, I think... I have had uh, several startups before working in uh, prospect.io and in every startup which were mainly uh, focused on B2B business I, I had to to do uh, some prospecting in, uh, in 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 some way especially at the at the beginning uh, when you uh, when I had to find the first customers so it was at a small scale and very targeted and when it grows up i needed to do prospecting at a at more important scale so that's why i think it's it's really important why don't you go ahead and define the term sales prospecting for people who are totally unfamiliar with this topic sales prospecting is i'd, I'd say divided sales prospecting in two different parts the first part is to target an audience so choose uh, who will be the, the customer, who are the people you will bring value with your product, and then find a way to get a list of information, of contact information of those people. And then the second part is to, to reach them and to find the, the right words to get their attention so that they will be interested in, in your product. Right. So it's typically, at least today, it is the process of, one, building a list of prospects, like people who might want to buy your product or service, mm -hmm. and then, two, sending an email to those people. In the future, maybe it'll be you prospect through Facebook messages or LinkedIn or something, but most of it today is sales is done over email. 
Yeah, exactly. And if you if you go back in time, uh, sales prospecting has always been done. Before it was uh, via cold calling, but people are kind of, especially in business, people are kind of fed up with uh, being interrupted by cold calls. And cold emailing is a, th- a kind of new thing, and that works quite quite w- well, especially in a in a in a business uh, environment. So sales for me has been mostly selling podcast ads. Uh, I've also done some sales with this new startup that I, I'm working on, this advertising startup called Ad for Prize. And in order to understand how sales is done intelligently, I read a couple books about it. The most relevant book, and this is what everybody told me to read when I started doing sales and focusing on building a quote, sales pipeline was this book, Predictable Revenue, which maybe you've heard of. But anyway, Predictable Revenue talks about this idea of a sales pipeline, where basically, at a, at a, whether you're talking about a small company or a big company, you have the idea of a sales pipeline. And yeah, exactly. maybe at a, small, at a small company, it might be one person that's doing every role in the sales pipeline. But at a larger company, you might have like you know, five or six different roles where you've got, you know, hundreds of people in each role, like at a company like Salesforce, that's doing tons of sales. Yeah. Explain what the sales pipeline is and and how prospecting fits into that idea of a sales pipeline. Actually, prospecting is the first part of the sales pipeline. So after having defined your strategy, which customer you are you are targeting, you, you will you will start to uh, visit website, check on LinkedIn. I don't know to, to buy listings or uh, any any way of getting the contact information of your prospects, and. And, and and then you will feed your sales pipeline. Then the the second part of prospecting will be to, to reach these people because you have unverified contact information and you need at least some trigger that that that, that will underline that the, the the people you try you are trying to contact is inter- in, is interested in your offers. And then you could bring that prospect to your CRM and continue. Once the the contact is done, you can continue uh, the your commercial relationship in the CRM. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, I, I st- when I started doing this like a year and a half ago or two years ago, when I started this podcast, I started selling podcast ads. Obviously, you know, like anybody else getting started in sales, I was like, well, you know, I must be the first person doing this. I'm just going to build everything in an Excel spreadsheet or like a list of Google Docs. And I'm going to take, you know, five hours to build a list and then to get that list imported into Gmail so that I can send a large scale email. And it was just this broken process. And over the last two years, I, over time, I've just realized, oh, actually, the the process that I'm doing for sales, everybody does the, like something extremely similar, and there are tools that are written to help with this, and you don't have to do everything in an Excel spreadsheet. And it's been an interesting journey learning just how much tooling there is around sales. Because I mean, as an, I mean, I'm I'm an engineer by trade, and I of course knew how much there was t- tooling in developers. But I guess I was so naive because I didn't realize, oh, there's just like a ton of tooling around sales also. Yeah, yeah, that, that that that's crazy. Actually, 
there there are tons of tools because it's just a huge market because absolutely everybody that has something to sell has to do uh, sales prospecting uh, in a way or another and as you as you told me it ca- it can really get boring and uh, and messy if you if if you if you don't use a a, a, a real tool because in the first place uh, when you start prospecting you don't really know who you are targeting so you are do- doing some tests it, it means that you will contact quite a lot, a lot of prospects um, and follow, following up with all all of them is can yeah be quite hard uh, quite fast yeah may- maybe that that's why there are so many tools also because there are many uh, different actions to 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 do for for prospecting and some tools are more focused on on finding leads so you can just put some criteria on the type of company you you you, you try to reach and the, the tool will automatically suggest you some people in companies to contact the second part is finding contact in uh, information of those people and the third part is contacting contacting them by uh, by email or by phone for for some mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I want to eventually get to engineering. We will get to engineering. Most of the episodes that we do are are much more focused on the engineering. But uh, I want to talk a, a little bit more about product development with you because what's so interesting about Prospect.io, and this is, by the way, I, you know, it sounds like I'm making a pitch for your product because I use it. But you know, it's not like you're a sponsor <laughs> you. of the show or something. But it's just because it's one of these things where you know you mess with different solutions for a really long time and and then finally you find the one that's like oh my gosh this like is really useful for me and that's kind of what prospect.io has been for me for selling podcast ads it because it's almost like you know when you find dropbox and you're like oh finally like the thing that solves my fi- my random file storage issue so talking a little bit more about the product development process so this is prospect.io is it's really useful for me as a, a you know somebody that's running a two person business but i know there are people like lyft and cloudera and box that are using it so these companies have a much wider sales pipeline they've got a lot more people involved in a given sales pipeline i i, I assume so when you're talking about building a product for a small startup versus a large company like a box or a cloud air or a lift i I mean i'm curious to know how you build something that fits both use cases because you know this is i mean this is kind of something that's interesting in SaaS recently where you have the you know the the blurring of the lines between the enterprise and the individual entrepreneur in terms of what product you're selling to people so i'm just very curious about how you how you satisfy both of those customer pockets? Actually, uh, I'd say the the basic needs of uh, a, t- a small or big or big team are the same, but for the big teams, they they have to interact with with ma- many people, and I think that's why uh, since since we started building the product for uh, small teams, the focus has been mainly on. Offering a good tool and a real reliable tool to send email for one people, and then we started to add team fe- team features uh, where 
several people can uh, can uh, collaborate and actually they get even more value because you, you told me about the spreadsheet you, you, you had imagined that 10 people have to share the same spreadsheet it's even <laughs> even more crazy so with a tool like prospect you, you can see see that oh uh, my colleague already contacted the, the, this prospect the, this prospect has already already been contacted one year ago you you have a, a an history and then it it, it makes a collaboration uh, easier Right. And so when we're talking about, we may not have described Prospect IO well, very well to people, but to describe it, it's, this is what's known as a CRM, which is, what is it? Customer relationship management. Is that what that thing stands for? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I I wouldn't describe a Prospect as a CRM. To me, Prospect.io is the step before the CRM, and we we have uh, different integrations uh, where the the goal when the prospect start to talk with you, we uh, encourage you to to push to push it into your CRM to continue the commercial relationship. So the prospect is really for the the beginning of the relationship, and that's why I I, I wouldn't call it a customer relationship management software uh, it's really a prospecting software and and the, and the difference is small I, i'd say all the prospecting part can be automated uh, quite a lot at least but uh, in a crm it's a crm is mainly a database the, there is not much that can be automated uh, you can right. just have notifications when 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 people start uh, re- replying and uh, you can add tasks but uh, in most CRMs, that's, that's the, the, the main thing. So, yeah. So in a CRM, it's like I'm a salesperson at an insurance company and I've got 10,000 people who I am have in different buckets uh, and these are my different relationships and they're at different stages in the sales process and a CRM is really good for maintaining the status of those different relationships. And I might use... Salesforce, for example, to know the status of those different relationships. And Salesforce is sort of the, you know, was was maybe the, the first sales CRM or the first really good sales CRM or it came or the first SaaS CRM, perhaps. And and I guess people, I mean, I guess they basically defined the term SaaS. And but but, uh, you know, we, we tried Salesforce and, and kind of one of the issues with Salesforce for us was like, okay, the bulk of the work for us is prospecting. It's not really, at least so far in in our experience, it's been prospecting. It's not been like the upkeep of the relationships as much. Like we kind of just need a little bit of information kept up around who our leads are and who the different people. And by the way, that term leads, that means people who you are looking at as a potential person you might make a sale to. But we didn't need a lot of the the large-scale functionality of of a CRM. I mean, what are the things? But I, okay, this is actually an interesting conversation because if you're saying that that Prospect IO is mainly the step before the CRM, what do you choose not to do? What are the what are the pieces of functionality that you can leave out of the equation and say, okay, you know what, this is something that the CRM is going to take care of? Yeah, actually, the the step where the the CRM enters is when there is a relationship with the customer to manage. And in Prospect, you are uh, mainly contacting pe- people you, that you don't know. 
and and that will hear uh, about you for the for the first time so it's for their step and when the relationship starts it means that when the prospects start replying then the relationship can continue into the the CRM which has been made for that mm. okay so to describe the tool p- to people a little bit more and then we'll get an engineering basically what you do with prospect io is you can it gives you a chrome extension and basically you can go around the internet to any website like if i want to go to let's say oracle you could go to oracle.com and click on this prospect io chrome extension and then it's going to bring you up a list of people that work at oracle and you can just save their email addresses and you just click a one-click button and get their email address into the Prospect I.O. interface. And then you can go to your Prospect I.O. dashboard, and you've got a list of people who you have saved to Prospect I.O. And then you can do different things with those contacts. You can add them to a list to send them an email and say, hey, do you want to buy some podcast ads, for example? <laughs> and this Chrome extension also lets you go to, to LinkedIn, and you can look around LinkedIn, and it adds a, a little thing on the page next to all the contacts on LinkedIn, where if you want to prospect this person, you can click this purple button and get their email address, basically because a lot of people who are prospecting, they're looking at LinkedIn and they're trying to understand the org chart of a company because they want to know, okay, who's going to buy my widget machine? Uh, Or who's going to buy my widget? Okay, maybe this person who uses widgets, like a widget engineer at Cloudera, for example. So how did you come upon that model as the right way to do prospect? Because when I saw this one, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I do, except I have like 10 extra steps in my workflow because like our workflow is something like, okay, we go to Oracle and then we find some other way of getting email addresses for people who work at Oracle and it takes like literally 10 times as long as instead, instead of like just clicking this purple button and then seeing a list of people who work at Oracle and then getting the email addresses from those people. How did you come upon the idea that that was the ideal model for prospecting yeah that, that it's it's just because we were doing that manually before uh, before prospect so we we, we did that me and my associate Vincenzo we did that many many times uh, in our each in our different uh, uh, projects and and at some point we really thought it's it's boring it's it takes it takes too much time we should automate that uh, that process and can, then can uh, I ask, by the way what, what were you selling what at your previous businesses like when you were doing prospecting what kinds of products were you selling i was working on um on a startup that were selling virtual cre- uh, credit cards so it was a a service for small businesses that ne- that, that needs to to share their credit card with their employees so th- uh, that was a system with different uh, credit limits and and so on so we were we were prospecting at a very early stage since since we were still building the the product at, at that time yeah and that so it it was focused already focused on 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 b2b business so and this uh, is like 
perfect example because this is like a niche product, but it's something that you know the people who whose problem you're solving for that with the virtual credit card, they absolutely need that. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's what we did. There were tons of startups listed on a famous website, website like Crunchbase or AngelList or I don't know. And and then we, we were clicking on every button and then trying to find the email and uh, and then all the all the that process manually was just cumbersome. And at some point, we thought that we should do it differently. Yeah. And just to reiterate, for anybody who is thinking right now, okay, so this is like people who build the spam tools. It kind of is like it's a weapon. It can be a weapon. This you know when you're building these sales tools, these prospecting tools. But this is simply what you need if you're building some. If you're trying to build a software business that sells something weird, like you're gonna need something like this. But I mean, you must think about that, right? Do you think about like yeah. how do how do you avoid building a tool that can be used as a weapon for spam? So I think. I think spam works when when you you send huge amount of email and with prospect it's impossible to do that actually you have to connect your own inbox so if you start doing spam if you get a bad reputation it will impact it will impact your de- deliverability so as a as a prospect customer uh, you have to to take care about what you are doing with the tool otherwise you will be punished not by by us but by the, the, the spam filters on the internet. So, okay. uh, and on, on top of that, we, we limit the number of emails you can send every day, at least automatically with, with, our, uh, with our system. So all the spam pro- problem is, uh, is uh, handled uh, outside of, of prospect. Mm-hmm. And, and moreover, uh, if you work like crazy, we can, Im- we can, we can imagine that you could send those 400 emails by yourself by uh, by uh, copy pasting uh, some uh, so, some emails you you've done so we are just making a work that you will you you will maybe have uh, outsourced to someone but we are we are making it done by a machine mm. okay let's get into engineering describe the architecture for prospect.io Prospect.io is a monolithic application we've made of Rails. <laughs> that's that's pretty inter- interesting, actually. So uh, we started Prospect with a monolithic Rails application, and we are transi- transitioning the front part to Ember.js. And uh, yeah, th- that that has been one of our main technical challenge in the in the past nine months. And uh, to transition view by view everything to to Ember, and then uh, we are hosted hosted on Heroku, and we uh, have an automatic code deployment with CodeShip. The code is hosted on on GitHub, and yeah, and and for for all the the email sending sending part, that's also interesting. We are using the the Gmail API. And we have recently introduced direct connection to SMTP servers. Hmm. So you mentioned you're migrating the front end to Ember. What's the front end built in right now? So it it was in, in Rails. It was classic Rails view rendered by the server 
and uh, and and uh, know step by step we are we are moving uh, we are moving views to to Ember. The, all the the main the main part is already moved, and we still have to move the the settings. Uh, yeah, and one of the most important uh, uh, piece of uh, Ember will be released uh, in the in the two next weeks, which is the, um, the 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 list of prospects, which is the the main view from where every every uh, main actions are are done. Talk about migrating a front end. You know, we've done plenty of shows about migrating a back end, particularly like, oh, you're migrating to microservices, but migrating a front end is a much different story. What are the reasons to do it and why is it difficult? Okay, so the main reason to do it was to have a single page application and having a single page application means everything faster so all the interactions are faster and and since the rendering has has not have to be done on the on the server the only thing that run, that goes back back and forth from your browser and the um, and the server is the json so it's very light and much much faster to to render for the server so so moreover all the transition between pages are almost instant uh, yeah, because when you load the, the the application, all the UI is is loaded uh, at the at the very beginning. So you can uh, think of Gmail interface or Trello interface. Everything is is so smooth. So it, it was we, we took this decision mainly for the for the UX. On top of that, uh, switching to to Ember allowed us to uh, to write an API in Rails. So Nine months ago, we realized that uh, all the controllers were quite messy, and forcing us to to rebuild all the all, all the con- controller part was yeah was really a good exercise that allowed us to clean up a lot of code and make our application much much more robust. Mm. So the it sounds like migrating the front end made you rework a lot of components of the back end as well. Yeah, but uh, we we already had a lot of things done in the in the in the backend that uh, that were not that that shouldn't have that that have not been re- rewritten. Just just the the glue between all our backend things and our our application, all all the all the view part uh, from Rails has been uh, rewritten. So it's it's still a, a huge work. But it allows really to, to, to separate view concerns from, uh, from backend concerns and, and, and have a, a clean API to transition data between the two. You mentioned that you're on Heroku, you use CodeShip. Those are a pair of managed services. What are some other... Do you use many other managed services? Like, how do you look at build versus buy? Because I, I find it interesting that you just use Heroku, you know, I know some people will say, okay, that's too much, you're putting too much trust in a platform as a service, you know, you should be configuring everything in AWS. But, you know, I personally, I love Heroku, I use it for most of my projects, because it just simplifies, it's not that I don't know how to configure a load balancer, it's just that I don't really want to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
You know, in, the, in one year and a half, because Prospect.io is only old of, uh, one year and a half, we have grown to uh, almost 700 customers. And it implied that we had to be focused on shipping at any time. And a managed service like Heroku really allowed us to not to focus on on the um, on the the hosting and the, uh, the devops uh, devops part so we are really in a buy vs build mindset and yeah everything we we can buy and uh, and offer us a return on on investment we do it and that seems to be the trend is if you're in anything but a commodity business, if you're in a SaaS business, you basically always should buy because your margins on serving more customers are generally quite high in SaaS businesses. Yeah, true, true. And moreover, Heroku flexibility allowed us to uh, absorb a high server load. And for instance, we have a, a lot of traffic during during the week and a lot less during the weekend so uh, the, mm. the 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 heroku price will the the resources we allocate on heroku uh, change and the price change too so for yeah co- compared to a classical uh, hosting solution uh, we could we could we couldn't do that i think uh, yeah, maybe yeah maybe on amazon no no even even not sure i don't think it's so easy to pin out dinos and cut them off yeah, I think it's it's interesting that Heroku has continued to thrive because I think like I, I feel like there was a narrative maybe four or five years ago or maybe three or four years ago that oh Heroku is just kind of a set of features that AWS is going to build or Google can build or Azure can build, but it's really proven to be a great company that has been quite durable and uh, you know I, I mean people are still onboarding with Heroku because of its its paths all, you know, all the time but i don't know i do are you have you been surprised by the fact like market wise that it's just been such a durable product yes i thought at some point that heroku could be could be built by uh, in in open source uh, in an open source way, you could uh, spin out your own Heroku instance, Heroku-like instance, and doing it. But uh, it looks like on on the long term, you, you cannot really do that because there there are always a lot of maintenance to do, and I think we are paying for the for their reliability. I remember I started to use uh, Heroku in 2012, and at that time it was not that reliable. Uh, I remember uh, a, a two days outage. Uh, actually, it was not the, the, the fault of Heroku because I think all AWS was down at the time. But over the years, the reliability increased and the, the service they, they offer increased too. They, they, they now have the, the, this uh, deployment pipeline that we are not using, but uh, because we have kind of special special needs due to our uh, front end separated from the back end, but but uh, I've used it on other projects and it, it's really it's really powerful and and they are doing more and more for for teams to to be able to to collaborate. That's uh, that's really uh, impressive. I should mention here that Heroku is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily, but uh, okay. this is not like a, this is not like a planned. <laughs> pitched about Heroku because uh, I, I actually use it. I want to talk a little bit about the 
the data cleaning and email aggregation process? Because when I go to oracle.com and I click that purple prospect.io button and it lists emails for me on the page that I can save to my prospect.io database, I know that that list of emails is coming from somewhere. I assume it is a database that you keep internally at prospect.io. Can you talk about how you aggregate the email addresses in that database? Yeah, I can. But actually, you have to know that we are subcontracting this part uh, to a third party that offers oh. a, an API. But I precisely know how, how do they they gather the, the, this email. It, it's not it's not a, a, a big a big secret. So our subcontractor, what do they do? You can think of them as a, a Google that index email addresses instead of of web pages. So they have crawlers over the internet. Uh, when they find pages where with uh, email addresses, they get them. They organize them uh, by by domain name, and they try to find uh, email patterns on them. So when you when you uh, try to to get uh, an email uh, from uh, uh, an email address from from prospect the first thing we do is to call this api that will that 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 will return a result that they they found on the internet or that they have guessed from the pattern the, the pattern of the um, of that domain name and then in the second time we verify this email so we do some uh, check on the SMTP server to see if the if the email exists or not, and sometimes we can we have a, a clear answer: this email exists or do not exist, uh, does not exist, and sometimes we uh, we don't know, and that's why we we have implemented there is a, a, a settings in Prospect uh, called verification settings, and you have different verifications filter that you can set depending on what you. What level of confidence you you want in the email address we give you? I know that those third-party services for delivering email addresses and indexing these email addresses can be quite expensive. Is that is the expense of those a concern, or do you have a, a an enterprise deal with them that gives you uh, enough of a protection against your margin? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. We we do have a, an, an enterprise deal with, with them. We are quite close of, of them. We, we know them very well. We have really built a strong relationship uh, with our our provider. Yeah, and on top of the of it, there are other providers that could be used if something failed. But at the moment, we are quite happy with uh, our provider. So, so when you, when you make a request to this third party provider that can index all the email addresses from a company that they've aggregated, like Oracle, for example, that has hundreds of thousands of employees, I think, or tens of thousands at least. Do you save the the requests? Can Do you cache the requests into your own database? No, no, we don't. We don't. So we actually, what is important too is to have uh, fresh fresh results. So, so we, we we want to to give the 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 best answer to uh, to our, to our customers and ensure that everything uh, is uh, is up to date. So so that's why. But their API is very very fast, and when you when you request 
uh, an email through our system, we have the, the time to request to their API, process the result, and send you back the answer. So when you you said you when you contact their API and you get those email addresses back, you do some checks on your side, right? You do like a check to make sure that it's like you try to check that it's verified, right? You said you said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so do you have Does to make it... a do you have to make a, a large series of requests to their the those SMTP servers to to verify the email addresses even after the uh, provider has returned the email addresses? Yeah, but it's actually it's it's quite fast. When you use our extension, you 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 can see that for most prospect the answer takes more than two seconds to, the response t- t- takes more than two seconds to, to, to show up in, in the extension. And we send all the requests in parallel. And yeah, and uh, so we send the one first request to our provider, and then we verify all the um, all, all the emails returned uh, in in parallel, and 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 we gather everything in uh, one response. We send back to, to to the extension, so that you can see that uh, everything went uh, right. Did you benchmark the data quality of this provider? against other email aggregators? No, we, we haven't did that yet. Actually, most of our customers are quite happy with the, with the, the quality of the, the emails yeah. we, we give them. Mainly, we haven't done that because as far as I know, I, I don't know a better way to, to find information that what, what they do. But sure. uh, yeah, maybe that's something I, I should go deeper. Yeah, sure. It, well, you know, one thing I find interesting is sometimes if I'm looking for some leads to again sell podcast ads to or talk to about podcast ads, when I go to the website and use the data from the website. I get different results than if I go to LinkedIn and find prospects through LinkedIn. So it seems like whatever third-party data provider you're using, the email addresses that they have that join the LinkedIn contacts are are sometimes different, or it's it's different or better data than the website contacts. Is that is that accurate? They, does it seem like they have different indexes for LinkedIn contacts versus for website con- contacts no 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 they don't but mm. what you might experience if, if you go to to a company website that has many employees i think we we only we only respond with the 20 result for the, for, for the company so you, you you will see 20 random employees it's the the emails with the highest uh, score if you click uh, on on the button, if you go to the contact page, it will look at the code of the page to try to find emails in in those pages. But uh, on LinkedIn, you have the first name and the last name of the of the people you, you try to reach. So you, you you will have more more specific re- result the the one you are really looking for uh, from your LinkedIn search. So essentially, it's a different query against the same data provider's API. Yeah, that's it. Right. You know, what I find interesting about this business is it's, you know, we've got these success stories and these failure stories of what happens when you build on top of another provider. So, you know, we've already talked about a couple success stories. Heroku is built on Amazon, which is kind of a, you know, I still consider kind of a new 
phenomenon, even though I guess cloud computing is like 10 or 12 years old at this point. And you've got a company like Prospect.io that's built on essentially on this third-party data API. There are also failure stories where like Zenga built on top of Facebook and yeah, true. and kind of got nuked. Do yeah. you have any yeah. do you have any do you have any observations of this this era that we're in? I mean there's also Twilio. Twilio built on AWS and kind of built a new API. What are your observations about this era of software development where we have platforms and APIs that we can build off of so quickly? I think I think it really depends on where you are positioned related to the the provider. For for instance, your example with Zynga and Facebook, Facebook was the a way to deliver uh, Zynga apps. So I'm I'm not even sure that Zynga was really built on Facebook. Facebook was really surrounding Zynga because they they had them to sell and they provided. The, the API and the and, and the building blocks for for them, when when you you add a layer on top of a subcontractor, I think you are just adding value on, t- on on top of what they do. And what we are really skilled at doing is to 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 make a great uh, a great product. And what our subcontractor do is providing great data and and that, that's that's why i think it's it's a kind of perfect match because gathering uh, that data is really a, a different job than building a, an awesome product moreover there are as i told before there are different uh, data providers that's why uh, you're not locked in yeah i'm not uh, we are not locked in interesting okay well i know we're drawing to the close of our time i, I guess i just want to ask to close off, you know, from uh, maybe you guys don't look at this, but you technically have access to macro data about what works well in terms of prospecting and what doesn't work. Have you seen any interesting overall trends that you can look at? Actually, uh, that's a very good question because it's something we are starting to investigate just right now. Since since two months, we really. We are really fo- focused. We have been focused on building a, gr- a great product, and the product has improved a lot in the in the last in the last months. And now we have something very stable, and we can take a, a bigger picture. And we are uh, more and more focused on the, the the success of our customers and and how to help them to get better results. Because we before we were uh, our first goal was to to give them a, a tool to remove uh, the boring part of their job. And now we want to help them to make the, their job better. And we are only scratching the, this part to, 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 to try to, to find what works and what doesn't and how to advise them on how to create great campaigns uh, that, that uh, really trigger the interest of, uh, of, uh, of the prospects. Mm-hmm. So we except very general rules like uh, short emails works well or creating catchy uh, email su- subjects, but not uh, not too obvious, triggering a curiosity and things like that, which are no. the, the things you, you can read uh, on any blog about uh, sales uh, and marketing. We haven't dived enough into the, the, the data we have, but that's really the, the plan for, for the next months. All right, last question. What can engineers learn from salespeople and what can salespeople learn from engineers? 
Huh. Salespeople can can learn from engineers that their salespeople really need data to to do their job, and engineers can give them their data. And for the for the the other side of the question, I think engineers are there to to create a software that provides value to someone, and salespeople have a lot of skills to, to, to make this value visible. And talking together, I think, I think it's, salespeople can really give value to what engineers do. I agree with you. Uh, and it's been interesting to learn sales since kind of leaving my role as an engineer. And so anyway, well, JB, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been really enjoyable to start using your tool, Prospect.io, and it's very fascinating talking to you about building a modern SaaS company. Thank you very much. It was a, a pleasure to, to be there with you and to, to discuss all these things. 